Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nish Nikolich, and my guest today is Dr. Connell Monaghan. Connell was conferred his PhD in clinical psychology from the Australian National University in 2019 and also holds a degree in marketing with a major in international business. Connell is a lecturer and researcher at the ANU Research School of Psychology. He teaches clinical assessment and statistics in the Master of Professional Practice program and on psychometrics in the clinical psychology program. He is passionate about clinical research and assessment, dimensional models of personality disorder, clinician well-being, and working to improve youth and adolescent mental health. Connell is extremely knowledgeable and here today, today to talk about dimensional models of personality disorder and explore the limits and merits in the current diagnostic method. It's a great pleasure to have Connell on the podcast and have the opportunity to learn from him. I certainly did a lot. Hope you enjoy the show. It was very enjoyable and I think provides a new perspective to considering diagnoses, not only from a DSM model, but from an alternative as well. Enjoy. Connell, a big thank you for coming into the studio today. In actual fact, you're our first guest to come in here physically. So it's nice and exciting to be sharing this first time with you. Yeah, I feel privileged to be here to to break in this, um, you know, the new suite and have all the lights on us and to see and to see your practice. Yeah, because I haven't, you know, I was saying I haven't seen you know this new practice since the other one down the down the road. Yeah, look, it's it, it's moving along. Uh, we've got lots of growth, which, which is exciting, and obviously a great need for mental health all round. So it, it, it's um, yeah, it's a nice nice facility for our, for mm-hmm. our staff. So you know, we enjoy it. It's wonderful. Um, Looking forward to discussing today all, all things personality, all mm-hmm. things categories. I know that's uh, you know some mutually shared mm-hmm. passions of of, of ours, uh, and maybe even look into some of the new research or, or mm-hmm. I suppose programs that are coming out because um, I think these these topics are very broad. Um, I know for for me, categorization of mental health concerns, difficulties, um, experiences. Uh, as a psychologist, as a human, can be a bit frustrating. I think categorizing of anything can be a bit frustrating. It's probably very much part of the ACT model. Uh, but I'm also he- keen to hear your views mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a you know fellow colleague and and you know some of your experience, um, because I think it's a conversation that should be had uh, in our in our field um, to at least question or, or put put that as a perspective on the table. For everyone to to consider and certainly hopefully becomes mm-hmm. make, makes me a bit more well-rounded mm-hmm. no absolutely i i i mean i i would agree that i that kind of grouping people or categorizing people versus i guess a more dimensional approach or you know, seeing us all as you know the parts of the same spectrum is really important um and i guess in in my perspective i think i i love the allure of categories I think in theory they're wonderful because it's kind of nice. It, it, you know, it definitely has some downsides in terms of stigma and those kind of things. But um, it'd, it'd be lovely if somebody came in with, okay, this is definitely depression. You know, there's a nice category. This person has you know, depression. This person has anxiety, and then you know what to do with that. It's really easy there. 
Um, but unfortunately, the world just doesn't work that way. And so I don't really, I, I think like you, I don't really think that there's much difference between somebody who um, you know, is feeling really, really low and somebody who's kind of low in depression. I don't, I think it's kind of all part of that same spectrum of, of, um, of feeling low. And so maybe intensity is a better way of thinking about it in intense instead of these categories. Um, but categories are really nice because we could just, you know, we can say, oh, I have this or, you know, I have pneumonia. It's really easy to communicate that uh, or to get treatment for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but humans are messy at best. And so I don't think that, I mean, there's, there's much evidence at all uh, that we fall into these lovely, these lovely clusters or these groups of people. I don't know if you feel similarly. Look, I think I'd have to agree with the the position of they're, they're very attractive. Mm. Uh, and we like to use language in that way and so it makes lots of sense and and there, there are some i think great values and and and, and uh, opportunities that come with categories because i can very easily communicate a experience that a client has or somebody has or i'm having myself by using a single word mm-hmm. right? where, where, where mm-hmm. the moment i say you know depressed you, you get it. Everyone gets it in actual fact. You know, there, there's no human that kind of scratches their head. But I think intensity is is a better clinical function uh, to, to look at because it, it, I think so often when we're using words like depression and particularly the, you know, the, 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 the regular person who's not looking at the clinical value, they will use depression very much off the cuff. And they'll say, oh, this happened. Oh, I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than maybe it happened and I felt saddened, I felt frustrated, I felt down, uh, I was annoyed, um, you know, for, for, for a moment I felt hopeless. It describes it, you know, in a better, mm-hmm. I, I think, mm-hmm. way. And I think descriptors have much more value, mm-hmm. but it, it's very costly to describe something. It's very you know, time-consuming and labour-intensive to write to a GP and, and, and explain something in toll versus a shortcut method of just saying they presented with, you know, at least what we do in the clinic, I, I, I've made sure that it says symptoms of mm-hmm. rather than mm. just the category yeah. to, to obviously create a little bit of flexibility there because I think there's value in doing so. And, and um, I'd hate to also say that I've made up my mind. I don't want to go and say it's depression. Um, you know, most of the time, think i need to be more considerate and and i know that at least uh, in, in in the practice we've got kind of like soft or soft or program um when we mm-hmm. write we can uh, uh use like a checkbox system where we say you know they're presenting with symptoms of you know anxiety depression etc and then immediately after that it's in the context of mm-hmm. and this is where we can then list you know what's contributing and and that I think in the context of makes much more sense because it's not difficult to for you to guess what someone might be experiencing if I give you a context and I'm fairly detailed in the context. And so the context I think gives more value than potentially the the category. Um, uh, I mean, I think you need both obviously, but uh, I think there's a flexibility in that. Or we, we should be encouraging flexibility at least in my point of view. I mean, you have to do that anyway, don't you? Because if you somebody comes in or you're talking to a friend who says, I'm depressed or, you know, I have symptoms of depression, 
that you then have to ask anyway, okay, well, what's that like? What's going on for you? What does that feel like? And what's been happening in your life? And so, you know, it's almost like the the depression in a way doesn't really help you that much more because then you then have to say, well, give me all the details anyway. You could have just skipped, you know, you could have just skipped the, the first part. Um, and I completely, I, it's it's very undervalued, the, the I think, the importance of context and situation. And it's amazing how many times, you know, we've talked to people who have been really struggling. They say, thank you so much for your help. You know, you've helped me get through this difficult period. And you kind of think, no, the, the stressful situation is just resolved for you. You know, maybe I held your hand a bit through the process, but at the same time, you know, we didn't really fix anything, you know, because nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're going through a really, really difficult situation and it makes sense to be feeling all these symptoms in that situation. So, um, well, that's what's so nice about trying to remove categories or looking at it in that perspective. I think it reduces dependency or, or the possibility of dependency because it, it's saying there was nothing inherently wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You were going through a difficult life period, transition, experience, potentially called loss. You know, and, and, and yeah, loss can come in all sorts of forms, not just someone passing away. And having that privilege to sit through that period, or at least in moments of that period, you know, 50 minute slots of that period over several months until something is either resolved in its actual physical form or it's resolved in the person's mind. Um, you know, maybe acceptance is is formed as, a, as an example. Uh, that's a very, very different space than saying there's actually something fundamentally wrong with you. Um, and maybe that's where that personality stuff mm-hmm. comes in where, you know, the, these categories, you know, um, uh, that we look at the, you know, different clusters, um, the moment we say personality disorder, whew, you know, that that's a hard, that's harsh terminology for me. I'm not sure what your perspectives no, no. are. I mean, it's, it's definitely in this, there's definitely some of some lovely researchers and, and clinicians out there who have commented quite broadly that you know, the idea of commenting that your person, kind of who you are, your personality, your sense of self is the problem. You know, it completely misses so much of what we're hoping to achieve. Uh, in kind of in in clinical psychology and in understanding individual differences, you know that you're the problem, which is kind of a ludicrous mm. um, proposition. I mean, there's some lovely work by um, some researchers, largely in kind of I guess Western Europe, who are um, trying to actually move away from personality disorders as a whole to try and get rid of the the the, the cluster um, and try to replace it with interpersonal disorders. So their argument is that when we actually think about the the issues that are typically related to uh, personality disorders, we think about, well, understanding myself, so like a, a sense of uh, self-perception and, and um, self-reflection and understanding who I am and how I can relate to other people. Um, self-direction, so being able to initiate action in a meaningful way. Um, being able to establish meaningful interpersonal relationships and also to empathize with others. Well, they're all interpersonal behaviors. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing really innate to you. One is about how well you can understand yourself, and one is about how you can understand others and develop healthy relationships. So really that that their argument is that well, we should be really considering these things as interpersonal dis- disorders 
And in a way, then that takes away from this, you're the problem, your personality is a problem. I've been going, great. So uh, instead of saying that you have antisocial personality disorder, would say, well, at the moment you have a real difficulty establishing meaningful relationships with people and engaging in them in a, in a mutually respectable way. And that's causing all these difficulties in your life. So if we're able to help develop these skills, they're able to resolve those problems. Mm. It's quite an interesting reframe on kind of that whole personality debate. I think, I think it's an elegant re re reframe because it, it asks a question that all of us could be asking about ourselves and, and, and framing it at ourselves. As I say, it's not innate to a single individual. It's, it's, it's a human experience that's shared and I'd like to think that as a 20 year old, my skill set wasn't particularly great in comparison to today. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I believe I'm a lot more considerate, respectful, compassionate, you know, thoughtful, um, uh, moral based, and so on in comparison to that young man. Um, and obviously, there were different contexts, different pressures, mm -hmm. um, different hormone levels, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming as well. I had to beat my chest a, a whole lot more as a young man, um, thinking that that's what, how I need to establish my identity, mm -hmm. you know, is through some, you know, cool factor, so to speak, you know, um, versus as a, you know, a bit more mature adult, parent, you know, a, a husband, a son, mm. um, a brother. A friend in many roles that I hold, and um, you reflect on these things differently, and you're asked to do things differently. You know, I'm, I'm asked to be a lot more value based, mm -hmm. ethical, moralistic, and and the like in my practice. Um, uh, you know, lots of complaints and mm -hmm. challenges come onto my table, and I need to kind of be considerate. And, and you know, classic one is is not jumping the gun and and uh, you know assuming what you're told is correct. You know the you know, I mean, there's yes. cognitive distortion there, yeah. and 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 that's a part of what we all face. You know, relating you invulnerable. Perfect one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like that reframe because we should all be asking ourselves that question. Um, maybe not should. My apologies. I think there's value over time of reflecting on that and and and, and thinking about how do I fit in in this space. You yeah. know, and and the classic one. You know, we we use this word around borderline personality mm -hmm. is such a big term in, mm -hmm. in psychology versus thinking about you know how do you experience this 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 space of you know betrayal or for example or abandonment as, as a classic example um because if you were abandoned i think you would become fairly emotionally yeah absolutely yeah uh aroused yeah, and you should i mean in a way the You've, you've learned how painful and how potentially dangerous you know being abandoned is i mean it's in innate you know if we're if we think of ourselves as kind of pack animals or mm -hmm. you know back if you think about evolutionary history you know if we were abandoned by our kin we'll be dead you know humans are hopeless by ourselves especially if you look at a baby i mean let's let's compare you know a one-year-old baby to a one-year-old pup or a wolf or something you know our capacity is completely different even a you know, a one gorilla versus one human, we've got no chance. Yeah. We're strengthened in numbers. You know, 50 humans can actually, um, you know, we can outthink and, and, and collaborate to to overcome 50 monkeys because they won't work as a team. Um, so our power is really in numbers and making sure that we fit in. So absolutely, if we're going to 
we, if we're abandoned or we think that we're going to be part of the team, then our with that evolutionary history says, you know, be careful, you know, you could die and you're you're hopeless when you're alone. But also, you know, you may have lost things that are really important to you. You lose friendships, you lose support and, and connection and trust. If I lost all that, of course you'd be scared of abandonment. Mm-hmm. It'd be odd kind of in my experience, it'd be odd if you if you didn't feel those things. So then to pathologize them, it's just a, such an odd experience as opposed to saying, well, it absolutely makes sense that you have this. And so you've learned that this this is really difficult. At the same time, that 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 worry and that fear is getting in the way of you living a meaningful life. Mm. So then, how do we reconcile those two things? Those two difficult things. And I imagine someone who's sensitive to thinking and believing that they've been in, in abandoned is going to potentially cause difficulties in that relationship when they're questioning another person's intent or or, or you know position in 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 that situation or that relationship, it pl- could potentially place a fair bit of stress on the other person, you know, whether it's trying to repair that relationship or, or having to apologize or, you know, just the stress of a rupture, you know, because that is very painful for the other person yeah. as well. Yeah, that's, that's a really difficult thing is because like, like, like you pointed out there that unfortunately sometimes that, our worry of trying to, to, I guess in this in this instance, not to be abandoned again, it has that awful outcome of making it more likely to occur because we're now placing additional burdens on our, or we're testing our friends mm. and we're testing those relationships, um, which then in a way can lead to them, you know, because as you pointed out, more stress on them, they end up having to leave us and then it just repeats that cycle. So I guess in a way we're framing it as a kind of a, a logical there may be a logical behavior or a logical outcome of a very difficult situation. And at the same time, then how do we work on those interpersonal skills or those behaviors to, to not let it to, to reduce its impact on our life going forward into the future. I wonder mm-hmm. that's kind of, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, a lot of these things are, um, like, you know, act is, you know, is dear to your heart and you can see a lot of these ones are nicely embedded in, I guess, kind of an act logic around where we are, where we are right now, what, what behaviours are going to help us develop a life worth living, what behaviours are going to keep us kind of fused in the moment or fused in the past. Um, but I, at least the way that the field is moving in terms of understanding personality, I think there's a, I mean, a, my belief is a really good chance that we'll lose most personality disorders um, as a whole in the next few years. We'll just see how they really goes. I think we will. Um, is that is that do you think that because it's coming from this 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 new approach, this this um body of work that it's gaining traction that that or is this something that psychiatry slash psychology is beginning to move away from? We don't see the utility in it in, anymore or the potential problems that it that it come that comes with it um where does your uh, uh, um, thoughts come from in, in in that space as to that will sort of phase yeah. that phase that out so i mean the interpersonal disorders thing the um those researchers believe i mean they argue very very nicely that i mean they're next step ahead so they said that their argument is that we should have abandoned 
um, well, some of them argue that we should have abandoned uh, categories 30, 40 years ago. Um, a lot of them say that we should have moved on, at least from a, from a research point of view, we've moved on 15, 20 years ago. And so they're thinking two steps ahead, not just the next step ahead. Right. It's very interesting if you go back and look at the history of categories versus dimensions. I mean, there's, you know, if you think back to, I think a pretty short Psych 101, I didn't see a name on your door, but Psych 101 around like, um, um, like kind of the Galen um, and the the humors, you know, you know those, the, the, there's like four humors, like four different, um, it's like sanguine, or was it, was it phlegm, blood, bile, and one more. One more, sure. Um, so back, back, back to the, 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 um, the Hippo, Hippocratic schools in like, you know, that, well, I mean, Hippocrates would have been like 200, 300 BC. I think Galen was a, a disciple, maybe 200 AD. So, but in that same school, but a bit later. Okay. And they argued that you've got these four different humors. So these four different, oh, I can't remember what the last one is. Um, and the, your levels of these create different, um, well, at least originally it was different um, psychopathology. And then Galen kind of commandeered it to say different kinds of personality. And so your levels of those these four systems dictate whether you're an aggressive person, a charismatic person, a depressive person. Um, and so there they argued that, well, it's not that you're so much a, you know, a narcissist or a um, borderline or those kind of people. It's that you know, those different levels of your systems um, dictate kind of the, the constellation of your personality. Um, and actually, I mean, the work by Galen was actually commented in, I think, in French manuals into, into the 1700s. Yeah, so, so for a thousand years, one and a half thousand years of commenting on this, no progress since then, um, which is very, very different to, for example, earlier work, like Greek kind of work, like Theophratus and these other, other people who had uh, personality characters instead. So they argued there's a, you know, you fall into one of these 34 different um, character types. So there's like the suspicious man and the inscrutable man and, and these kind of things. And so you get pigeonholed into these different categories. So even since then, there was kind of these two different arguments going forward about are we a type of person? Are we a category of person? Or are we, I guess, a different, uh, you know, we all have our unique levels of these back then. It was humours or, or, or um, um, like blood. It's, it's going to, I'm not going to sleep. That's what it is. Phlegm, it's like blood phlegm. No, we'll come back to it. We have we'll it. Probably, yeah, we, <laughs> you um, can you can look it up on your phone. Yeah, we'll start yeah. talking, <laughs> and then pretend to cut it in. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't. I can't pretend to teach any of these things anymore if I don't know myself. Um, but yes, yeah, so even back then we had this this argument about you know are we categories or, or are we really just like a we all have a unique combination of these different things. But if you think forward, you know, or back to Psych 101, you know, we have this lovely system now. It's very, very similar to that, but the Big Five. Sure. Um, so we can definitely remember the Big Five. Do you want to give them a go? I can, because uh, I, I know the acronym of Ocean. Oh, good. Right? Uh, so openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, uh, agreeableness, and eroticism. Right. Yeah, it is. Very well done. <laughs> so you did better than me. No, I can't. 
Um, but they actually make one, you know, fairly similarly to that to those. I mean, there's five there and there was four. Um, that's what Big Five argues, right? It doesn't say um, that you're a you are an extroverted person. And I know how you feel about saying extroverted person versus higher extroversion. Sure. Um, then, then work kind of about, and in the eighties, it's kind of starting with um, a guy work. Whittaker kind of did some early work showing that, well, if we can describe most personality or normal personality with the big five, surely we can describe people who are, you know, having personality disorders or experiencing symptoms consistent with personality disorders. So they demonstrated them, and, and other researchers, some of here in Australia, some kind of in New Zealand, and and lots in kind of the states and and Europe. We're kind of demonstrating that well, we we can actually not only reproduce personality disorders with the big five, uh, but we can also then explain a lot, lot more because we can characterize people who don't fit into one category really nicely. We don't have to pigeonhole anyone into any categories. Um, don't really have a sub threshold problem, so mm. it doesn't really matter if you're just not meeting symptoms or you are meeting symptoms because well, your traits don't really change. Um, but also, we had a big issue in the literature where it was quite easy to prove that your treatment worked. Actually, same with, with you know, psychopathology, so same with depression and anxiety, where what you would do is if you wanted to show that your new treatment worked really, really well, you'd get people who just met criteria for, say, depression, um, only just, and then with your treatment, all you have to do is remove a fraction of a, a symptom. Because if you're in depression, you know, if they had depression and one of the issues is sleep, well, if you fix their, their sleep, now they don't meet criteria anymore for depression. So you fix their depression. Mm-hmm. So, your, so your sleep treatment now fixes depression. Sure. Which obviously isn't the case. That person's only removed slightly down on that, but it's just enough to get them out of that threshold. Um, so you get rid of all of that as well. So you, you no longer have those problems. And I guess the same, I don't, not sure of the research with kind of you're saying with dimensional approaches to say depression or anxiety and these kind of things. But I imagine that similar thinking would solve a lot of those problems as well. Mm-hmm. Because you show, well, my my treatment worked, but did it really work? You know, it had a it had a slight effect, but it really didn't do too much. Whereas previously with this categorical approach, you'd say, well, that fixed their depression when really you only, you only did yeah. a small amount. And it's it's quite a challenge because even trying to understand what is depression the threshold of calling it subclinical to clinical there isn't a consensus among psychologists about what that line is and that's that's part of the the issue if we asked you know 100 psychologists to read an excerpt of you know someone's um uh, presentation there's going to be variability as to what Mm -hmm. we all place on that um interestingly we could all go and say you know is this person in 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 a world of pain are they suffering are they feeling great great you know hurt we'd all say yes that would be very very simple to say there would be debate on and conjecture about are they meeting a diagnosis or not and that, that that that's part of the problem and obviously in research that poses a bigger problem because when we say you know we we, we took, you know, 78 uh, participants who, you know, all met the criteria. Well, who was, who was um, assessing the criteria? Because we, we kind of have this problem of, of, of um, measurement mm-hmm. um, or, or categorization. It's, it's complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not trying to 
um, uh, be negative against or, or, or research. It's just trying to have a conversation about how do we do this in a systemic way so that we can have more trust and reliability around that because there are obviously um, biases that 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 we want to find results in, whether it's a treatment or, or whatever it is. But uh, I really like your um, uh, your point around trying to understand personalities in a more descriptive manner despite the challenges that also come with that um what what do you, what is this new approach or, or where do you think it will kind of move into if if we do go and say okay we're going to get rid of the you know three clusters a b and c um and interestingly you know we very rarely use, uh, uh, you know, particularly, you know, those those um, clusters around um, schizotypal and, mm-hmm. and like, I don't hear that language at all in, in, in with any of my colleagues. And I certainly haven't gone out and used, used them. Uh, we certainly do in antisocial, mm-hmm. in, um, uh, in borderline. They're, they're the classic ones, I think, that we use, but we don't use them very much no, with, no. With, with too many more, at least here in Australia, or at least that I've observed. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. there's other other places that do so, but... We don't have them in Europe. Uh, not in Europe? No. Wow. So in Europe, they're in... They're part of the schizophrenia. So the, the, the schizoid, uh, schizotypal personality types, they're actually they're not in a personality disorder. They're part of schizophrenia. Which makes sense to me. Like for, for me, and and look, I'm a bit maybe maybe naive in, in this space, but for me, I'm looking for psychosis. Mm-hmm. You know, some some type of uh, disconnection with reality. I don't care what what category we put in it because that is just going to be unbelievably destructive. Anyone that's got magical thinking, anyone that that that's got you know whether it's paranoid uh, thinking or any other version, that's going to be unbelievably um, dysfunctional. Uh, And, you know, I think the common practice with that is we're going to go out and try and give you lots of sedatives to try and do a chemical lobotomy. We're going to do something because you're harming yourself or, or, or probably less likely somebody else, but, you're certainly harming yourself um, and we need to try and give you some stability, you know, so for a period of time, probably put you in a facility, try and downregulate and, and hopefully, because that's what we're kind of doing. Hopefully we'll find a little bit more uh, uh, emotional stability and therefore, you know, reasoning and, and obviously perspective will come from that where, we're hoping some of that magical thinking, that 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 uh, confusion that comes in that state, you know, disorientation and, and all the other things settles, you know, and 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 we should we be very a better way compassionate of with that. Yeah, we definitely need a better way of treating. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's always been the most kind of. I mean, our treatments have sometimes have been as destructive or have been as destructive as as the symptoms themselves. I don't mean I definitely need so much more work in that field. To understand what do we, you know, how do we help people who are, um, you know, having difficulty regulating reality in a, and in a meaningful way. Um, 
Well, it's, it's something that's so, I mean, I, I can only imagine if, if that is your perspective at the time, how frantic and frightening that could be, you know, in, in the paranoid, let's say, state um, where you, for example, might feel that you're being followed, you know, that's scary, you know, or, or that you're on a, you're on a mission to save other people. Uh, and, you know, there's an urgency around that as well. Other people are, uh, are missing out on this amazing opportunity and it's really important that you can advise them, you know, or you're just having this internal conversation um, or just complete confusion, disorientation. You're, 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 you're just walking around, difficult to hang on to any information or, or put it together in a, in a cohesive way, um, you know, the hygiene problems are going to come up because you can't even organise yourself at, at a minimum level. And then, you know, it's back to the, to the dimensional. And I mean, how far do we go down that spectrum until this person's just quirky? Yeah, eccentric, quirky, um, interesting. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, that's the whole openness to experience. That's kind of some of the, it's traditionally been the hardest thing for us to understand and measure. I mean, even today, even our best measures are pretty woeful at it there's the kind of the internal statistics that we have to to understand measurement quality is notoriously really poor for that for a long time we thought it was intelligence and, and now we're kind of seeing it more kind of could be creativity um on a more of a kind of a psychiatric lens sometimes i do call it kind of regulation of reality or integration of, of, of reality because people who are creative you know don't have to as, as tightly equipped to reality. They can be a bit more fluid with ideas, but at a certain point, those ideas are so fluid that we can't integrate it into a coherent narrative. Um, and then going the other way, you know, if people who are really, really low on openness to experience, the people who can't deviate from, from rules and can't deviate from reality, so they have to live by you know, very set logics and they can't have any kind of creativity in their lives. Um, but I don't think, yeah, we don't really understand that whole spectrum very well and definitely myself i don't really have much experience there mm -hmm. um interestingly i mean an absolute idol of mine um meal um who did some fantastic work I mean, he's, an, he's one of those annoying um people who've just written everything <laughs> um yeah if, if you if you've thought of something he's written 20 papers on it <laughs> um better than you could possibly think it's just like, yeah he's, he's an idol um paul meal and anyway, he did some early work, um, which is actually kind of continued by Nick Haslam down in Melbourne University here on uh, a school of uh, statistics, which is based on biology. So the idea of do we have two different taxa? So two different, um, we can think of taxa kind of like uh, different types of animals, different clusters of animals, or are they really just the same? So, you know, uh, say, um, cocker spaniels and bulldogs are they really different um they're two different taxa two different classes separate things like categories or are are they really continuums so do we have every single gradation between a bulldog and a cocker spaniel and it's kind of there's no point making a distinguishing line because there's no clear distinction um but we can do that with humans as well so we can mm, say mm. is there actually a point along the continuum where if we get everyone if we get everyone who has or if we get, if we get everyone in the world uh or a bit more likely a sample because getting everyone in the world are pretty is pretty expensive and then get them all to put in a line and we have people who are quite 
you know, quite really, really struggling with severe depression and people who, you know, have a very, very high level of well-being and line everyone up in a line. Is there a cut point where there's a bit of a gap where you've got kind of the depressed people and the non-depressed people? Or do we have every possible level of kind of depression severity, you know, every line on that continuum then? Do you have a kind of statistical approach that allows us to do that? Um, and Nick did a, a recent review on this and kind of said, well, everything in psychology pretty much is continuous. So there's no evidence at all of taxa or separate groups in almost anything we could find reviewing a huge number of studies. Um, Paul's early work was on, um, Neil's early work was on um, uh, genetic basis behind schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And he seemed to suggest there was some kind of basis there. Mm -hmm. But outside that, no, there's pretty much no evidence at all. I mean, he couldn't find any evidence at all of any kind of distinguishing features for anxiety, for personality or for anything. Mm, mm. I just had Nick Haslam on the on, on the podcast. Um, so that's what I was talking to you about before we started recording about concept creep. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, he is uh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's he, wonderful. He's, he's, he's absolutely um, uh, fantastic. So uh, yeah, lovely to hear that. And I, I like that concept of of um, there being that continuum because it. it removes you know when, when you were talking about that between you know cock spaniel and bulldog scenario it's almost like us categorizing by you know race color of skin etc where yeah you know, i can see that there is a uh, uh, an ease of just going out and um categorizing versus a little bit of cognitive load which goes out and says we've got to look beyond that yeah, the first category is the most valuable category of the human. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're different in some ways, but we all are. Even those simple features that we can, you know, for example, visually see, um, we, we, we need to kind of be uh, uh, careful with that we don't go out and, you know, use that as our primary identifier uh, yes. because, yeah. you know, that, that says so little compared to... Um, you know, other continuums that we can, you know, look at because there's more similar than there is different, you know, among among all of us. You know, uh, dogs are one continuum. You know, I'm, a, I'm a dog lover. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, great. You know, we, we, we've got that commonality and, you know, we're not too concerned about what the dog is. You know, is it a Labrador or, a, you know, some other breed? Um, you know, And how wonderful. I mean, it's, I think it's a, it's a much lovely language as well. We're all part of the same continuum. We all have similar struggles. Um, what we really, you know, is just at, at different points in time, people have different, like the different systems strain to different degrees. Um, but there's, you know, there's nothing different about you. There's nothing broken about you. Um, and that comes, yeah, as you said, that comes back to the language issue, which is so important that, you know, I guess that was, a, you know, from clinical, uh, from cognitive psychology, that was Beck's early work showing that uh, kind of depression can go both ways. It's not that when you're feeling really, really low, you start talking more negatively. But also it can go the other way. If you start talking more negatively, you can, you can facilitate depression. So mm. instead of saying, I'm feeling really low today, you know, saying you know, I'm half depressed and now ups the ante. Um, it's like that early, that, 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 there's some early research around um, our car crashes. And what they did is they got kind of the flip pill into two groups and they said, um, they showed the same image, the same 
crashed mm, mm. and they got half the people to say you know, the car, the two cars bumped another half after got other half the people to say the two halves you know smashed together and everyone who said smashed then you know said it was a worse crash they were going faster and attributed all these new things that weren't in the original image yeah simply because of the language the recoding of that language so you're saying if i have a fight with my friend you know if i i, I, you know, I say oh today was difficult with a friend if the, the situation's the same Mm. But if I say oh, I had a really difficult day with a friend today, and I hope he works through it, versus you know it's the end of the world, my friend hates me, and these kind of things, well, even though the situations are same, it completely can really completely change our interpretation of that situation. Mm. Um, also, I guess that language is so important, and it's it's, it's so great that you had um, Nick Haslam on here as well, um, and again, it's a similar idea with like, concept creep slightly different, but uh, it's definitely a huge amount of concept creep. In psychology yeah yeah um, but yeah where, 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 where do you um foresee or what, what what what's this new area of research do you feel it's going to lead to in the personality types if, if, if we get rid of that or we move away from that what do we start adopting or what's the language that psychologists begin to foster and and use as our common common knowledge that that we say you know, this is what the evidence yes. base says um because uh, uh, i imagine uh, if i understand a little bit about humans that you know there can be a feeling of loss you know it's like if i lose that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i feel naked what am mm -hmm. i going to do how do it, it's kind of fascinating because you know psychology was around before dsm we didn't have to provide categories to provide support but once you've got the categories you're like i need them you yeah, know yeah, there's yeah. a safety blanket yeah, I, absolutely. I i i may, maybe there's even something about you know i know something if i know the categories i can put a language to it and obviously there's always going to be language but how do you see this space potentially um unfold if if uh, a more spectrum type of scenario is, is adopted which i think just talking obviously you know I'm, I'm not doing this through research i'm just doing this you know in my in my um selective biased way of talking with my colleagues so i probably frame it in that way but i do think that psychology generally does want that you know that the clinicians have recognized for a long time that cate categories per categories in the way that i think they're used today are a bit clumsy um, they're not doing what we wanted to. Maybe it's because we haven't used them particularly well, looking at like thresholds, like is it causing, um, what's that, there's that, there's that blanket term that we do on, on, on a, uh, there, there's, is it causing significant impairment mm -hmm. across, you know, academic, social, um, uh, employment um, type of scenarios. That one's kind of been, turfed a little bit it's kind of like you know if you're feeling pain you get the category we're not talking is it going out and causing significance mm -hmm. you know in clinical i don't even know what that is that is but that's where our yeah, that's where we differ you know one person says well if you can maintain a job then it can't be causing that impairment another person says no it does have that impairment even though you can work and so th th there's a difference of opinions or maybe we've forgotten about that that um, criterion altogether. Okay. But putting that aside, but, but where do you think we start adopting, yeah. you know, how, how do we adopt this new 
because it kind of undervalues people's experience. Well, because you can hold a job, I hate that. You know, because you had a job, therefore you're fine. It's like, I, you know, yeah. you, well, you know, because it just it takes it takes the wind out of people. So yeah, you know, my you know, life is you know it's a constant struggle. You know, every day is really really extremely difficult. You know, somebody else to come you know doesn't really know you at all to say well you're fine if you've got a job you your experience is invalidated because you work <laughs> um, I think I think that's one of the biggest issues I think he nailed it that in, in, until we can solve what we're going to use because you know it was in the DSM a bit of bit of goss okay. so until about uh, I'm not too sure of the timelines but until very close to the release of the DSM five. There was a dimensional model. Okay. Yeah. How do I not um, know about this? It, it's in the DSM as well. <laughs> it's, it's it's actually in the annex, which is basically Siberia. <laughs> it's in the very back of the DSM. So that's like, yeah, no one's even seen it. And actually, we asked a whole bunch of clinicians and as a, and a colleague that asked a whole bunch in um in New Zealand about um uh you know are you aware of the the DSM and, the, and the, obviously no one knows about it, so it did well to stick it back there. But you know they had, and, and it's about as about as almost about as kind of combative as um thanks as um clinicians get I think about kind of having it in there because it was in there. So we had a, a model um the models now called the alternative model, which is in the appendix, which basically says well, like as we're saying, you got your big five traits. Um, so let's take somebody who's agreeable. Mm -hmm. So the opposite of agreeable is is antagonism, so kind of being antisocial. So if somebody's assertive, well, they're going to be a certain level of that. And and at a certain point that they're going to, if you think about maybe agreeable is putting others' needs over your own, um, and uh, antagonism is putting your needs over others, at a certain point that's going to become pathological and you just don't care about other people and do those kind of things. So what the research was showing, and what was actually in the DSM five, uh, uh, DSM five, until I, I, I can't, I can't remember how close to release it was, but we're talking very, very close. Um, was that great? Well, what we can say then is that if you're if you're a bit, if you're very high on antagonism, then you're likely to be more antisocial, or if you're very, um, I guess, low on agreeableness, then you're going to be very submissive and passive, and let everyone else's needs come before your own. Um, but the one of the high level committees said that well the world isn't ready for this like we just we they just like as you said what kind of language are we going to use our healthcare systems are based on this everyone likes this um, I think one of the arguments was discontinuity disc, um, with previous research understanding you can't just start fresh um, and it caused people to walk off the committee um, like about as a, about as aggressive as academics get in terms of writing. Um, articles about um, uh, the dislike for the current the current system, um, but it was put into into the annex. So it was like it wouldn't surprise me if it was six months a year before the release kind of thing. So right at the end, it was it was kicked away because wow. um, they said it wasn't ready. Clinicians wouldn't like it, even though. And since then, you know, I thought the whole world big reviews of clinicians have said exactly what you've said that I love the dimensional approach. I think it's better. It covers um the nuances of everyone really really well but i like i like categories and i want categories because mm. they've said well then um for example if somebody comes into ed and you have an ed night say a psychiatrist or the reg who's on, on call 
um, comes in, they go, well, what do I do with someone who's has this personality constellation? What I need to do is say this person has, you know, borderline personality disorder, therefore I need to do this X, Y, and Z with them. So we don't really have that language wasn't developed yet. Yeah, we don't yeah. have that language for that. Um, it's interesting to go out and, and frame a decision about is the world ready, you know, because it, it, it becomes an avoidant thing. You know, we don't want to upset people or we don't want there to be you know, negative affect on DSM or our committee or whatever it might be. It's a fear response mm-hmm. rather than this is actually grounded in in what we see as being best practice. You know, it's going to have some very difficult challenges about mm-hmm. finding a new language set, about how we communicate this. You know, the transition is going to be difficult. You know, we, we, we're going to have to probably uh, give lots of leeway and training and papers and the rest of it over a three-year period to, to upskill everyone and, and, and introduce new language and thinking styles and communication styles and, and you know, uh, hopefully give opportunities for insurers to come on board and 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 all all the complexities that that it brings but we'd only do that because it has merit and it's got lots of value yeah. um, do we let insurance drive the system or the system drive insurance yeah you know look, look, look what humanity did i mean the psychology you know well, not 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 in psychology the whole world said doing things online is absurd can't do it can't do video consults for anything you know it's these are just ridiculous concepts no one's going to take take it up and then in record speed interestingly all the everything was already built everyone just had to say yeah i'll do it Mm -hmm. i'll just call my person up and say Mm -hmm. can you make this happen and they go yeah it's going to be annoying and painful but yeah in three days time we've got a whole system you know, Google already figured that out. Zoom already had figured that out. You know, Microsoft had already figured that out. So you need, you need the, power, the impetus, the paradigm shift. It's like we don't, we don't want to use e-cars, you know, using getting away from calls too hard. Maybe, you know, we need to kick up the bum to similar to, okay, in, you know, in six months we're all going to go eat. Uh, maybe that's all you need, I don't know. You reckon there's a threshold coming up, though, in terms of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. that is that is nearing. So, because um, like, I think there's a bigger, a bigger recognition um, of the issues, like like you raised with, with especially not only the language of borderline, um, but I mean borderline is personality disorders, really. I mean, it is ninety percent of people who in uh, who get diagnosed with personality disorders are borderline. Um, if you get an inpatient unit, especially old people who diagnose with much nobody there with narcissism. Uh, everyone there's a borderline, so you make it to in a way it is personality disorders. Statistically, you can kind of demonstrate that really most personality disorders are border uh, borderline with a slight change. Um, so really, it just takes up the lion's share of everything. It's also really nondescript. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done the math, but borderline. You know, we have the the, the nine symptoms of borderline um, personality disorders, and we have to meet five of those. The only reason it's five is because that's more than half. So you're more likely to have it than not have it. <laughs> um, there's like one study in, in on the DSM-3 trying to show that that was roughly the right thing, but nothing since then. It's really just more likely to have it than not have it, which is, anyway, we'll, we'll, come, we'll leave that. Um, but but it, but it's a huge point. This is my criticism of DSM across the board. You know, there, there are some things that have such a huge fad um, 
uh, that they've become the language. They're, they're in the media all the time. You know, I don't know what it's like, you know, in your space, but we are constantly getting phone calls for ADHD assessments now. We didn't have that three years ago. We, we That just, it was around, but we didn't have the volume of phone calls of, of adults saying, I want a, an assessment, right? Um, we don't provide those, we, we, but but uh, but it's like this has got its own new, new new traction. And when you start looking at it, and anyone could do a quick Google search, ADHD symptoms, you know, and you start looking at it, you go, oh, I've got it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because the layperson will just read it. And and it's like, well, I need to do something with this, right? And and, and there's a D at the end of all of that, which says disorder, right? Which is frightening, right? And, and, and if you're not in that space, there's a concern. And so, you know, when I say fad, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the volume of, of uh, marketing, you know, the, the, the media representation, how much airtime it yeah. gets versus yeah. a different category, you know, what a schizotypal had. Mm-hmm. Not, I think if you did a research, how many times has that been referred to uh, at all, um, you know, in the media would be a tiny little handful compared to ADHD, which would be daily, you know. So a fascinating question there would, would be there, you know, is it that greater recognition equals greater awareness and then greater understanding of people who have that? Or does it yeah, will lead to a, to a high level of people who think they have it or want the diagnosis? We don't really know how to... Mm. I, I seem like we have a similar issue with, with anxiety, mainly internalising disorders, but anxiety disorders, females, that so we know that, that uh, women... Um, have a much higher level of uh, diagnosis, you know, much higher level of, of anxiety disorders. Um, but is that a, a greater willingness for these people, for, for people to say that I'm feeling really anxious, I'm feeling really, really worried? Is, is, is it just that in society there's a difference or is there actually a difference? And I don't really know how to disentangle those two because um, is it, you know, is it, I guess, social desirability and awareness or is it actually the kind of differences in biology? You know? mm-hmm. um, but so. Have you ever done the math with borderline in terms of you know, we have five symptoms, nine symptoms, five uh, required? How many? I don't know how your your college math is with with the permutations. Do you want to have a guess? Have you seen ever figured out? No, that? no. It's, it's two hundred fifty six. So there's two hundred fifty six different ways of people have to have borderline personality disorder. So I, I I completely believe that for many people the label is really really important. And to understand, especially if you're feeling really out of control, then that label is so important for you. Um, to understand, I have something. There's a treatment. There's a community that I can bind with. But at the same time, that community has 256 different possible diagnoses in it, and you can have two, five of nine, so you can have two different people with only one overlapping symptom. So then, is that label any use? Is that is that, is that really useful? Um, so really, maybe we're better of, of subdividing it or, or just looking at these these traits. But but they actually made the plunge in in Europe. So it was kind of temporarily released or kind of released in 2019 and then made official in the IC in the uh, World Health Organization, the International Classification of Diseases, which really doesn't get as much traction here. But maybe it needs a new campaign. You know, we need a new campaign for this because um, we tend to be DSM here yeah, in Australia. Yeah. Um, but in twenty in two thousand and twenty two, it became official, and they they don't even have well they do have traits, but the the, the big five is kind of secondary. 
they only have one personality disorder label and it's just severity so the only what the sole the sole job of the clinician is to just say how much is that person's personality um in uh causing impairment in their life from from not at all to very severe and that's it and so wow. that's it if it's beyond say two or we're at some point on that threshold then then they can get the diagnosis there's no subdivision there's no nothing it's just how much impairment mm. is that causing that's that's really really interesting because when i did a placement at the eating disorders unit here in canberra woden uh, under paul white who i don't know if you've met paul previously a brilliant human being amazing clinician you know a, a a phenomenal manager um great respect for for paul um he very much used the Scandinavian, I think, management style. So he was very collaborative and everyone was, was involved. But I do recall, and I've said this before in the podcast, uh, looking at providing diagnoses, you know, following a, a um, uh, history-taking initial appointment and so on um, with a client. And I would say, you know, in the high 90s, probability is that the client was diagnosed with not otherwise specified uh, which was so amazing as a brand new clinician because mm-hmm. it completely exposed me to this new space uh, and it's you know great regard for 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 Paul's work because it questioned a lot of th- these things about saying there's a place here uh, local that I'm sitting in that is demonstrating day after day after day um, uh, the questioning of the category because no one was fitting into a clean category but it wasn't removed it wasn't invalidating so there was a Mm -hmm. eating disorder but it wasn't specified Uh, and so it's it speaks to that right and and all the clinicians were on board you know no one was being coerced or anything like 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 that he wasn't a a um a dictator by, by any stretch of the imagination so we were able to go and say these human beings who are coming to the clinic are in great pain and they're going through great, great um, angst and, and great challenges with with their um, particular presentations, but without having to go out and say, you know, you have bulimia or anorexia nervosa, we could understand the infinite permutations of, of, of how that can present, you know, um, along with context that we wouldn't potentially even look at um, in the categories it said so much you know they were all validated at least in my mind and they were all given the treatment that was warranted and and, and valid but without giving them you know a a um i think a clumsy category that, so that would have been easy to do so you formulate it so you use formulation instead uh yeah yeah like it, it was you know with you know this is a you know 24 year old um, you know, girl that you know has had these experiences. This is how um, you know they started with their with their concerns, prior history, you know, parents, living condition, you name it, the lot. You know, yeah. th- these these guys were phenomenal. Um, you know, nothing was left off the table, and, and the the history taking was second to none. Um, you know, great regard for for the eating disorders unit, and I imagine it's probably very similar. Um, today, uh, but that speaks to to this space of saying, you know, is someone having harm, and what's the severity? 
um, and, and and severity is, I think, really important because it it, it um, not only says severity says about how are they coping, what are they experiencing. It doesn't say what the condition is because someone could go through an awful scenario, and their severity could be very high, mm-hmm. and another person could be moderate. Um, yet they've experienced something of a very uh, similar nature, how they're relating to that is different. Um, and I think severity speaks to that really elegantly, um, I feel. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, approach. And I wonder if you know, we can adopt something similar in personality that you should just use. I mean, similar to you, I mean, 60%, at least 60% of personality diagnoses, at least in, in, in several larger reviews, yeah, uh, pity not, same thing, not otherwise specified. The same problem, almost over half of all diagnoses are not otherwise specified. Yeah. So maybe yeah, people in in all walks of life don't fit into these nice categories. And, and I feel like maybe in a way, you know, eating disorder kind of work is is far ahead. Maybe we, you know, personality needs to catch up or because in, maybe in a way, I maybe many clinicians, like I don't I can guess how you were based on our conversation, but many clinicians, yeah, are non-diagnostic. I mean, same the headspace is, is non-diagnostic here. Um, when you see the value in it, you know, I can understand somebody in their context and I can use a formulation or kind of the interrelationship and maintenance of symptoms. And that tells me much more information than having a label, because if I have a label, well, then I have to do the formulation anyway mm. and understand that person. Um, it also allows a kind of a bit of a blending between, I don't have to think of kind of different disorders in their silos. Mm. You know, mm. can say, well, the eating psychopathology comes from here. Or this restriction kind of behavior might have this kind of background in this trauma or this personality style combination with this. So, like a, a holistic view of people as opposed to, you know, that's what, what do we treat for? You, know, you don't have to say what do we treat first because you don't have to treat anything first. You, you see kind of everything that person as a whole. Um, so, it's a nice way forward. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, you know, how are we going to move? I mean, I, that's kind of the idea behind all that whole unified protocol. And similarly, uh, high top as well. Talk about high top is the kind of the, the that they call themselves the grassroots movement coming instead of coming from more kind of I guess I'd imagine establish, you know, establishment. It's more from kind of clinicians and researchers from the ground up saying, well, we believe that most evidence suggests that people tend to fall on a certain continuum, um, and but how the the nuances within each continuum or spectra. Um, are less well-defined. So, you know, like you might have eating psychopathology, um, but all of eating psychopathology is falls in, in kind of one in one cluster together. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really treated so much as separate. It's like, well, all of these have very shared common themes and we can understand that those kind of connections. Although interestingly, um, kind of obsessive compulsive is, is actually right next door, but um, considered separate. Yeah. But we know that those two uh, kind of, have a strong co- co-occurrence. Well, not so much co-occurrence, but um, you could say a, a mixing of flavors. Sure. Because kind of rigidity or um, uh, say um, maintenance of rules and strict rule taking is is definitely prevalent in eating some pathology as well. Um, which 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 is fascinating because you know from an act model rigidity is that core mm-hmm. you know principle that's in the center of the hexaflex you know, there, there's psychological flexibility which is obviously what we're trying to move toward and the 
opposing side is, is rigidity. And, and that's no different to holding an idealistic, rigid perspective versus saying it's complex. It, it, it's multidimensional. There, 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 there's lots of um, mm. factors that are related with, with one another. And as much as it's nice to be able to go out and, and have something clean, we're in the grey, we're in the dirty, we're in the in the complicated, the the mix, and um, that's what human beings are. They're messy. I think you used the word uh, earlier on. Um, you know, messy is nice. It, it, messy is regular. You know, every tree is messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look far from it, they look the same, mm-hmm. but they're not. The branches are completely unique, um, and, and and similarly, so are we. You know, in you know, um, and, and we change. Yes, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the Monet. Mm. You know, that, that if you look up close, you think, "What on earth is this? It's, it's awful." <laughs> you know, it's it's like this this weird blending of colors and shapes. It doesn't even make sense. And it's you know, when you step back, you can see that. I wonder if that's a nice you know way of seeing us as well. When you step back, is like it's, we seem to be going to work. You know, we seem to be functioning and doing all these kind of things. When we get close, you know, it's really just a it's a loose association between all of the different parts of our life and kind of just holding it together. Um, whereas at a far, we've seen that things are I've really loved be, be, being a, a, a father as much of a change in difficult space that, that that's been. But I have this kind of really beautiful feeling of belonging as a father. You know, when, when I went through the army once upon a time, I felt like I belonged to a a group of people who have been through the trenches, you know, we've done the training together. Mm-hmm. We've, we've uh, crawled through the mud, you know, so it's like, and that's where that camaraderie comes from. But as a, as a parent, I'm like, I just look around mm-hmm. the world and I say, there's a huge number of parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the only common bond that, that human beings is plenty, but that specific one and I look and I go, it doesn't matter what your status is, your title, you know, your accomplishments and blah, blah, blah. You've still had a child vomit all over you. Mm-hmm. Right? You've had to clean up their The great their equalizer. It is. It's, and, and there's something beautiful about, at least for me, that, that, that's been something that um, I think also removes ego. Mm-hmm. It also is an ego-removing experience because it's no longer about you. It's about your child. Um so there's lots of things that 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 brings up, and and that humanness mm-hmm. then comes up, and and I think uh, part of being dimensional in in the way that we we look says there's a humanness, and we're all on a you know spectrum. For for example, you know, if we look at ASD, I, I think moving to a spectrum space, I think has changed how we have um, uh, honoured or appreciated people on the spectrum. You know, we used to go out and say autistic, you know, or Asperger's, and it was said normal. But if we have a look at it, you know, there's this, Clearly, there, there's a place where everybody, you don't need to be a psychologist to figure out where it obviously has unbelievable impairment. Everyone can observe that. And, you know, usually you see that quite early on in, 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 in childhood. Uh, 
But then there's this whole other spectrum where quirky, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, interesting um, yeah. uh, uh, is is the attractive part, and 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 many people that I think we would look up to in life, or or at least their accomplishments and their person and and, and their being and and so on have many of those mm -hmm. traits that we would talk about on this, you know, ASD spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, yes. uh, and, you know, once again, I'm always concerned with the D at the end of these terms, the the, the disorder. Um, and I know that it clearly does get to a point where it's pathological. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's um, quite problematic. Uh, but I think there's an autistic spectrum. Um, and where do you lie on it? Uh, uh, is is interesting because you, you can lie very far into one but without the disorder part you know, or the pathological part um so maybe uh, that's a good like, argument for the kind of the neurodiversity language because mm, mm. maybe that once again changing our language can change our view of things and definitely i mean it's it's i mean actually since you know the even before kind of the early dsms there was lots of issues and lots of debates around you know is diversity enough to be disorder i mean the early dsms you know deviation from normality was was, was psychopathology that led to lots of lots of um, pathologizing things that we now would consider normal um so a new diversity in the same way might be a nice change of language to say well, well we're lovely lovely the lovely spectrum as well of neurodiversity out there that's right. what i can call it causes disorder mm. it's actually an issue you know what I, I, uh, what's dawned on me sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. What's dawned on me? Maybe, maybe my new, my new thought process is I, I remove the D, not by cutting it off, but by putting diversity at the end of it. So it's AS diversity, autistic spectrum diversity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm on that. You know, I, I have a spectrum of 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 um, the whole lot as well. They're, they're, it's probably. Um, on the on, on the other end um at least in that category but if i look at uh attention and hyperactivity i definitely have diversity um you know i'm in a particular area which sometimes is my superpower other times it is my foe um or less effective you know le le less less utility but there's no doubt that i have a lot of energy in me and, and my focus is challenged and, 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 and you know I've got to observe that all the time in my work and especially in therapy I want to jump on every sentence that I hear and the great obviously um, uh, the great work comes in not jumping on every opportunity because every sentence has five opportunities like how I jumped in and, and, and spoke over the top of you just a moment ago but maybe it's diversity instead of disorder, um, and that then asks the question of how does that, as as your own unique diverse um, point on a map, serve you? Yeah, um, yeah so maybe or you could think of it maybe like as and as well. Like you have to have neurodiversity and disorder. Or yeah, actually, attention that, that, deficit and disorder. Because you know, the, I like that actually. In all DSM, they have the severity specifier. I mean, the, the impairment specifier, which is the you know, it's, it doesn't. It's not mm. enough, and that's actually some some lovely work out of, out of kind of this the, the early debates um, that it's not enough to be 
abnormal or uh, yeah. in, a, in a statistical sense or away from the, the norm, but it must also cause clinical And so you could say neurodiversity is wonderful. We should we absolutely embrace it. And at the same time, we recognise that at a certain point, it can cause difficulties navigating like a world that is, that is based on people um, all kind of cohere, uh, working in a certain understanding and a certain way of doing Because that helps with that clinical line about, yeah, so, you know, ADHDD. <laughs> it's massive acronyms, I think. <laughs> Don't put me at the head of any of this. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> but it, it shows the complexity of it, the, the great importance, and I suppose that 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 um, tug of war of the merit and the value of the D as a disorder and the D as diversity. Mm. Um, that 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 both of those and the interplay. And the importance of us as clinicians understanding that and 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 also educating the world or having complex conversations with, with the world so that we don't get forced into you know insurance forms that say you know what is the diagnosis you know and obviously our pushback could be you know nos um or impairment uh, or impairment um interestingly i half the time don't even I don't answer the question in the way they want me to answer the question. And it goes through. Of course it does. Because they understand the person's in pain. <laughs> you know, uh, but I think it's much more complex and it's hard to fill out a, a form that only has one little field to explain what's going on. Um, you know, and, and and that's complicated. You know, even when they, you know, what what are your goals? Well, that's not that easy to to just go out and define you know so i've figured out you know moving towards self-management of x you know that that sense tends to tick the box for the insurers to say next batch of whatever it might might, yeah. might be but um that's another thing but it, it, it's my way of saying it's hard for me to put words on this in these small fields uh, and if you want me to actually make serious comment it's going to be time mm-hmm it's a costly exercise you know it becomes a report that that, that then allows for all the descriptors um to maybe explain both the d's you know the disorder and the diversity that should be considered for all human beings so maybe that's a nice language to think you know when people read lists of symptoms and they think they have something instead of thinking you have something they could say well you know we all have humans where every degree of of diverse and the issue isn't whether you meet certain symptoms or not is whether is this really causing difficulty in life and in a way enough difficulty to warrant engaging in therapy which can be a very difficult process for a long period of time um so yes yeah, so i mean the symptoms are less of a problem I don't, there's definitely some symptoms we shouldn't glance over absolutely um, but at the same time you know is it is this actually causing enough impairment in your life and if it's not well, let's you know, embrace that. It's wonderful. Mm. Um, but then we come back to that whole discussion of, of how do we then have a new language if we move to a dimensional system? Because, um, I mean, that, that's, you know, the statistics, the word statistic is literally in the in the DSM um, because the point, you know, it was developed in a way actually just to collect statistics on people to understand what's going on in our world. So where do we need to allocate funding? Where do we need to develop new treatments for do we have you know more adhd is that actually increasing in prevalence we can do that when um you know because because it's 
grouped into these categories. And I know lots of clinicians like myself, you know, we don't like putting down ADHD or anything into those boxes, but then how do we know the prevalence of things? Mm. And if things mm. are dimensional, then how do we, so should, at what point does somebody qualify for NHS funding? If they're, so is it, I don't know how we get away from yeah. a, a label-based system. Um, and if you, if you move, for example, you can move, so, you know, in Europe, and World Health Organization countries have moved to level degrees of severity. I'm not quite sure how that maps to their to their health system, but maybe they get certain they're thinking of certain degrees of, of funding based on severity. But I mean, at the moment, if I if I just purely speak from you know what what I think most psychologists see in through the Medicare system, uh, people go and see the GP, and they complain of life difficulties and the GP who's an incredibly you know well-trained and compassionate and thoughtful and kind and and, and uh, yeah holds all the attributes that we want in our healthcare providers says I'm going to refer you to a psychologist because you're in pain mm -hmm. uh, and I know the criteria if you look at it in black and white Medicare says they have to meet a mm -hmm. diagnostic criteria and so they click on a form you know which is built out for them which just has the list of dsm um, and they click on one which says depression um, and you know, do they meet that criteria i don't know um has it been my experience that uh sometimes they do sometimes they don't absolutely should we then say they don't mm -hmm receive any sport because of the, the, the threshold, you know, that they, that they can work. <laughs> you know, yeah, they don't need help because they're, they're, they're at work. You know, it's not showing impairment in that at least. To, or do we say, oh, it is, it is impairing. Like, I don't know where that threshold, but uh, we, the, the way that we're currently doing is, is just turning a blind eye. And there's no one in the world, there's no minister in, in Australia that's going to say, I don't know that that's happening. They all know, but they're not going to remove it because that would be mm. appalling. You know, it, it, it's effectively saying someone comes into the hospital complaining of a sore tummy. You don't say, oh, that's just, that's nonsense. That's a sore mm. tummy. Go home. You, you treat them as though it could be appendicitis. You do all the checks. And, and that's, I think, how it kind of works where people who continue to need the support continue to come back to their psychologist and, and those that don't, you know, it, it resolves, um, you know, and, 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 and that support is there. And I would say there's lots of value through obviously the, um, the ripple effects, so to, so, so, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. We have to come up with a common language. This is why I was a bit surprised when, when you said you think it's, it's, it's coming that the, the, um, uh, the, the, collective movement is getting strong enough to, to pose a big enough question to say, you know, what does the next DSM look like? Um, or do we go to the um, uh, 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 OCD, 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 sorry, OCD. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe, I mean, more mm. people are using the ICD. I mean, we're going non-diagnostic, um, as you said. Well, and you might, we might ask ourselves the question, well, what, point is having these categories if people 
don't use them or you just make up a category to get funding. So they're not achieving its purpose. At the same time, you know, we need some way of allocating funding. We need some way of understanding. Or for example, if somebody comes in, how do you know what treatment to give them? Um, if there's every possible combination of everything, it's pretty hard then to say, you know, what, what do we give them or how do we help this person? Because um, we have some lovely models, you know, we know panic disorders tend to work in this way. We know that you know, anxiety disorders tend to work in this way. Or, or So we have these kind of uh, templates. How do we then apply those to someone who have every possible constellation? Mm. And not, not in, in insurmountable problems, but um, at the same time, you know, there's a huge shortage of psychologists. So maybe you know, one, one approach as you raised would be to have, like actually in in, um, in a medical sense, sometimes they use the term uh, like a review of systems. You kind of go back to review the whole system. You know, if there's a stomach pain, well, that could be due to this system, dysfunctioning of this system. Let's check those systems and see how they're going and making sure that they're functioning well. If they're functioning okay, then you know this person's okay to go home, or maybe they need a bit of a help with that system. Mm. You know, maybe they need some antacids or something to to help that system work or um, a bit better. So maybe, and I think insurance companies be on board then as well, and I think the government would be on board because I don't know. I know that I'm I'm with Medibank, Medibank, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes they they offer you know they want people to actually go to the doctor. Which seems counterintuitive because they, they want to pay, but at the same time they've worked out that it's much much cheaper for them <laughs> to get people to go, to go see doctors. Well, I imagine that I'm, I'm actually speaking from from I don't know, but my assumption is that they've figured out that um, you know, it's much cheaper to get people to go see the dentist once a year and GP once a year because then you catch things earlier. You don't have that huge issue down the track. Yeah. So maybe the same thing here that you know we're touching base with people regularly, then we can stop problems before we can help people navigate problems before they become a big deal or that that would make sense in something like you know post-traumatic stress uh we know that debriefing and having opportunity to talk with 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 someone properly um uh is it helpful um in mitigating some of those presentations before they become you know more disordered because we can normalize it we can go out and, and 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 um uh, set up a, a relationship with what they might experience and not to be afraid of it and and call it abnormal and, and and then try and get rid of it and 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 the like which creates more tension and friction in the in that system so so, so to speak um so i can definitely see see that and obviously that that's where you know the model of um, early intervention mm-hmm. yes, comes in whether it's a filling like great we found a you know little cavity at the beginning we'll do a filling that's a lot better than a root canal down the mm-hmm. down, down the road, uh, which is a bad outcome across the board. Um, but uh, uh, Connell, I, I, I could speak to you forever. I think I, I'd love to have you back on 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 the um, podcast again. I, I, you've got an absolute wealth of knowledge um, that I can. I think I can learn immensely, immensely from. Um, what are you currently doing? Where, where, what's your space for our listeners? Um, you know, how can people get in contact? What, 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 what are you working on at the moment? Um, I've actually dropped off the, unfortunately, I dropped a bit off the, the practice wagon, mm-hmm. um, supervising, but not actually practicing. But I'd love to get back, and actually, I'm trying to you know, think about different ways to get back 
into into seeing seeing people and working with people. Um, I think at the moment I'm uh, teaching kind of assessment and uh, statistics at the Australian National University here. Um, kind of trying to help get more psychologists through our Master of Professional Practice program, um, which seems to be going really well and is really developing. Um, so my area of research you know, is into kind of more contemporary models of personality disorder. And then I get all the the kind of the more nerdy subjects. So I like, um, I do research kind of in statistics and, and methodology. Because I guess, I guess my other interest is that no, anything we, 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 all of our knowledge is based on assumptions, based on, on measurement. Um, and so if we're basing any assumption, or make, basing any of our knowledge, you know, what works, what doesn't work based on, on poor assumptions or based on statistics that doesn't work or, or measurement that isn't correct, then the whole house of cards falls down. Um, so that's kind of my, you know, my areas of expertise. And um, yeah, that's me. Because I think it's such a beautiful way of of of, of uh, thinking, and probably why I've enjoyed talking to you, and always do, because there's that purity of being open minded to saying, what are the assumptions that we hold, mm-hmm. and we should address those, and not being afraid of having a conversation around that. You know, it makes us better mm-hmm. as, as clinicians, most certainly, certainly as academics. Um, I think definitely as, as, as institutions and teachers, um, you know, lecturers and the like, I can tell you we've had a number of uh, five plus ones mm-hmm. come through and what you guys do at ANU um, is phenomenal. Uh, the, that unified protocol and the whole program and exposure and the, the language for a, for a graduate coming out, um, I'm unbelievably impressed, uh, and, and and I'd like to only hope that other universities are doing doing the same. I know that you know UC is a, a great local university as well. Um, I'd like to you know hope that, that is across the board what Australia is providing and and and, and delivering. Um, but uh, yeah, I can certainly vouch for at least those that I've um, had come through amazing junior clinicians um that that uh you know are only going to get better over yeah, time so they're already impressive in my eyes so it's, it's absolutely wonderful to hear we work really hard and um definitely i think it's going to be because there's definitely a need for more psychologists i mean the waiting lists are really unacceptable so um i think uc and other universities are working on their own four plus two programs or five plus one programs depending on on their their approach um, to try and really meet this need that we have out there because it's mm. something that has to happen. Before we finish up, I can't let that one go. Is there still a four plus two possible program going through or it's just the five plus one? No, no. So it depends on the university. We're the only program that has four plus two. It, the what's moment. the four? Is that still? Um, um, four plus, five, sorry, five plus one. So when I say two. four plus two, I'm, I'm talking about the... Yeah. Uh, the four plus two being the masters, or, or are you talking about the actual internship? That oh is... no, my understanding. Oh, I, I last time I checked, um, yeah. So languages. Uh, <laughs> this <and>, is what <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's two different programs that universities tend to have. One is that you can go in straight after undergrad. Yeah. Um. So then you do one, uh, two years of, um, training, mm-hmm. and then one year of internship. Or there's people who go in post, kind of post honors, and then do one year of training one channel the internship my understanding is that the actual 
non-academic paths are largely being phased out. I actually thought that that the cutoff has already well, lapsed. Has yeah, maybe it has. Um, yeah, yeah. That and I don't know. I, I we need to clarify that. But I thought that that's lapsed, and there were some people who are still grandfathered in that. Yeah, now right. need to do that. You know, and and there's a bit of a deadline. I think it might be like maybe it's already passed, or maybe it's coming up very very soon. That that. So the only pathways that'll be moving forward will be either your five plus one. Or your six, um, yeah, uh, yeah, but I, I, the same. yeah, that's, that's, that's why I was like, yeah, yeah, tell me more. The languages, yeah, because we kind of use the same language as the like the, with, the, with the pluses that we used to have, so it's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a nightmare. Um, but no, yeah, so that's that's my approach, and, and I, there's definitely there's pros, uh, there's definitely pros and cons. We don't want to necessarily like restrict training to academia uh, or to, to universities. Um, at the same time. My at least my understanding from, from from reading kind of the APS releases is that the issue wasn't so much that it was that the difficulty uh the the diversity in training pathways and quality of training that occurred to normal supervision just varied too much that some people would be you know you go to one practice and get weekly supervisions trainings all these kind of things you go to somewhere else and you would get none of that or you get so it just it just varied too much mm, mm. and it's very very stressful and even finding supervisors and things was really stressful for people um then also just having the headspace because often if you, you know if you're working for someone then you're you have to see patients or you have to contribute a lot at the same time there's a lot to learn mm. so we want a lot of time to kind of read and to listen to lectures and to to do all these kind of things and i guess it was really difficult to, to standardize that across the board I think this is another podcast that we'll have to uh, you know, spend time on because I, I feel like I've had some fairly strong views in this space, but I would love to have a more nuanced um, you know, understanding because there are so many forcing functions and factors that need to be understood as to why those um, challenges are taking place um, and, 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 and obviously where that variability is both beneficial and not beneficial. Um, uh, but uh, look, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, watch this space. Do watch this space, absolutely. Thank you so much for 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 your time. I really appreciate you. And, and, and uh, you know, I think um, your, your insights are so balanced and measured. Your language is, 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 is lovely as well. Um, really enjoy these types of conversations because I think they stretch my mind they, they ask me to to ask questions kind of like the d and d you know that little addition at least for me is is, is why i do all of this is to try and go out and say what am i missing you know because my first one wants to nicely categorize it and says yep i've replaced it mm -hmm. yeah and it's like no that's not nuanced enough you know this is why conversation it's needs to, it's so important and, and and someone that that is willing to put it out there uh, as well i mean that that to me is um satisfying so thank you for today and uh Thanks hopefully, hopefully we can get you back sometime. i feel privileged to, to try out as as i've said i i agree similarly it's it's so different um actually getting you know i really i appreciate the opportunity to get to talk through these things and because often you you know you don't get that kind of chance to really actually get to to flesh and to, to talk about ideas and i similarly like that idea of um you know maybe Maybe taking the more European approach and saying, "Well, that's most wonderful, but is how much how much this disorder or how much 
trouble is that causing in your life? And then if it's not causing trouble, wow, wonderful. That sounds fantastic. And if it is, well, maybe how can we tweak things so that it is? Um, yeah, so maybe you started something new here and, and you know, this is it's good. And it's finally nice to talk to people in person. It seems weird knowing that people exist outside our computer screen. Because <laughs> well, I, I was meeting people the other night um, who I've known for three years. Well, I've never met. And, we, and we've just got our first first cohort of students come through university who's, who've never met any of their colleagues. They've never been to a lecture because their whole university experience has been through COVID. So they've never, they've never had any kind of interpersonal engagement. I mean, wow. Well, so it's nice to be back. Yeah. I tell you what, you know, when, when we were even organizing this, is like, do you want to do it on Zoom or do it, yes. do it in person? It's like, well, yeah, let, be my first test test subject. You yeah, know, yeah. We'll, we'll see how the studio goes. But, um, you know, it's so much nicer to, and this is why everyone still, like, let me rephrase it, why still a large number of people want to come in person <laughs> into a therapy session. Um, you know, yes, there's a lot of younger persons uh, who, who are, a lot more adaptive. Um, got some other viewpoints as to why they might be doing that too. But um, you know, in person, we're, we're social beings, um, and so it's lovely to actually be here it together is. and have a chat and have a coffee together. There's something nice about that. So, um, so maybe that's back to your and and D thing about are you are you doing Zoom because you know you're avoiding because it's actually part and parcel with what's going on or are you doing it because it's, it's just it makes more sense and you can get more gain that way so i you know it's very good. very act again You're right? very act. We, well very psychology you know it's unfair to say it's act but I, I i often say that but i think it's very psychology you know that, that that we say and 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 you know we don't just say you are x yes um your x and and, and, well, there you go. There's, there's another debate you can have on so, here. So if you get CBT versus ACT and have uh, a, a debate. I think they're much, much closer. And I, I've actually heard, I'm reading a book at the moment, which um, they used, uh, uh, it's called Coddling of the American Mind. Um, and a clinician, you know, very much CBT orientated, but using a very ACT model of applying a different uh, a tone or voice to a thought um so kind of mimicking the or using the same words but mm -hmm. but you know i don't using mickey mouse or putting it to the tune of happy birthday or something or other that was used as an example and it's like that's a very act model at the same time it's just a psychology mm -hmm. model and it's lovely to see that they're actually you know uh um, coming together, they're 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 much closer, and I've certainly spoken with Steve Hayes, who mm -hmm. has written books with his CBT counterparts mm -hmm. um, about the process of therapy rather than CBT versus act. It's like, yeah, once again, these categories maybe we need to question them also and say, you know, what 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 values in it? But um, that's another very controversial point. Yeah, leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much, Connell. I, I appreciate you and uh, look forward to having you back on at some point. Yep. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and 
be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.